continue on in Ecclesiastes. We are um, almost finished with this book. We've got one more um, chapter. Uh, we are ending, we're going through really um, a full chapter today, although it's not exactly. Um, it, it's chapter 11, verse 7, all the way through chapter 12, verse 7, and then we'll finish up the last few verses next week. And so, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, tonight. I'm going to need you to participate. This is going to be a little bit of a Bible study quiz for you. Um, I'm going to walk through these verses, and I'm going to have you tell me at the very end what the theme is. And keep in mind, there's uh, there's sub-themes as well as themes. And so um, I want you to, to take your time. Don't overthink it. Uh, when you study the Word, if you were in your own home looking at this passage and you were asked to do this, um, look for patterns, look for repetition, not only in words, but um, phrases and verses. And if you see the same meaning over and over and over, just said in different ways, um, just take your time. Let's walk through this. No pressure. Do you guys feel like you're in school right now? You're going to get a grade for this? You can't fail. Well, you kind of can, but there's not many of us, so it won't be that embarrassing. Let's jump in here. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7. He says, Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth, with a whole life before you, is meaningless. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. Remember Him before the light of the sun Moon and stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants, stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows, see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all your sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom. This is my favorite part right here. And you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. By the way, don't YouTube it, but you would be surprised how many YouTube videos of dying grasshoppers there are. Anyway, I had to do it for study. And the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. All right. What do you guys think as you hear all that? What are some possible themes that Solomon is trying to essentially teach us?
Yep, youth and um, the focus on God, certainly in your youth, definitely. Good, good. What else? Definitely. So continual growth and focus on God. Anything else? Did you see any cute? Did you see any patterns and repetition with words? Meaningless. Meaningless, definitely. That's been the theme of the whole, whole uh, book. Remember, in, in Hebrew, meaningless is habel. So he says habel, habel. Everything is habel. It, it means fleeting breath, vapor. It's going to go quick. That's what he means. Not that it's without purpose as much as it is. It's fleeting. It moves quick and it's over. So you definitely, that's that could be a theme for this passage, um, and certainly for the whole book. Any anything else? Yeah, there's a word over and over and over in these eleven verses uh, that you see ten times. The word remember, 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 remember says it ten times over and over and over. And so there's sub themes like youth and growing old. Um, there, there's sub-themes like the seasons of life. Things change, right? Um, but overall, if you had to narrow it down to one theme, he's basically saying over and over and over in a bunch of different ways, don't forget about God. Young people, there's a lot of good things about being young, but don't forget about God. So this past weekend, um, I went up to my parents' house, and instead of a night, Tara was gone with her family, um, kind of having a girls' weekend away, and so me and Silas went to Grandma and Grandpa's and had a wonderful time, stayed overnight. I usually don't do that. I, I just like to sleep in my own bed, so if I can help it, I don't I don't sleep over. Um, but we, we decided to go Friday night and left Saturday, and it, it doesn't matter when or what the circumstances are for us going up there. When it's time to leave, the last, like, 30 minutes before we leave, my mom, wonderful, smart, wise woman, will spend a good chunk of that 30 minutes running around saying, oh, don't forget this. And don't forget, do you guys want some vegetables? I got a big garden. How many, how many tomatoes do you want? Do you want some zucchini? What do you think Tara would want? Don't forget, don't forget Silas's shoes. Don't forget his drawings. We kept them over here. Don't forget over and over and over as we're going out the door. Don't forget, don't forget. Now here's the picture some of you, you know what that's like. You got a mom, a grandma who does that. The picture that we've had painted for us for 11 chapters is that we were invited into old man, old, old grandpa Solomon's house. We, we sat at his table. He fed us truth after truth after truth. He said, this is what I've learned. And he's the wisest man to ever live second to Jesus. And he said, I've made lots of mistakes, but I've learned what life is all about. And I have a credibility that no one else in your life will ever have. So listen to my words. And he's told us over and over and over. And we've sat and we've ate this truth. And now we're getting to the end of this. We're looking at our watches and we're saying, it's time to go. And as we go out to leave, we hear him yelling, saying, listen, don't forget what's most important. Don't forget. Now, if you could only say a few things to your kids, to your grandkids, to your friends, to your family, if you had to sum up your heart cry, your life's message, what you would want someone to know is most important in life, what would you tell them? If you look at the proverbial 
screen door of life and you're telling the world, don't forget the message that I've based my whole life on. If I could only tell you this, this is what I would say. What would you say? What would you say? You see, it's important to think about that because ultimately what is most valuable to you is what you would talk about. And you want to know, especially if you're younger, is it lining up with what God says is most important? Because if it's not, I might be disillusioned with my entire life and what I'm doing and what I'm pouring my time and energy into. I might be going down my own path. I might be thinking there's valuable things. And I might not even be close to what God is saying. This is what life's about. So tonight, we're going to take our time walking through this chapter. Um, We're going to look at three things. Three things in pretty good depth about what Solomon says. Don't forget about this. So, let's jump on in. Going back through, and for your benefit, I underlined remember every time. You'll see it maybe in a new light here. In verse 7, he says, Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless or fleeting. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. Again, it's fleeting. First thing we see as we round out chapter 11. Don't forget that you have an expiration date. Don't forget you have an expiration date. Life is short. There's some urgency. See, Solomon's saying there's a lot of advantages to being young. There just is. And so he's going to go through a bunch of these advantages. He says in, in verse 7, Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning, like a brand new baby, like, like springtime, like the spring thought. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a freshness. There's a newness. There's a, man, we're just starting this journey that equates with being young. It's a beautiful thing. In verse 8, he says, when people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. Meaning, you want to look back. You want to be thankful for every day. You want to recognize there's so much good in life. And I took the path that I knew God wanted me to. That's how you're going to know and be able to rejoice, is when you look back, you can say, you know what? When I just see this through a lens of God's will, I know I make mistakes. I know I got issues, but for the most part, I stayed right where I, th- I thought. According to scripture, I knew God wanted me to go so I can rejoice in what I did and how I spent my life. When you get older, you think about those things. You think about all the busyness and the, the craziness and what you spent your time doing. And you want to be able to say, I can rejoice instead of, I regret. I regret. I regret. Can you rejoice right now in what you've done with your time thus far on earth? But let them also remember there will be many dark days. So in these few verses, he says, remember three times. The first one is, remember, there's going to be junk. (laughs) There's going to be hardship. There's going to be days where you wake up and you get a phone call and you hear that someone's in the hospital or that someone tragically passed away or or you, you just experienced darkness. How many times when, when you experience that kind of a day, 
when you turn on on a Monday morning or, or whatever and you say, wow, the largest shooting in American history. And immediately you remember, I got an expiration date. We all have an expiration date. And if you're not spending your life doing what you know God wants to do, then everything you're doing is meaningless. Not just fleeting, but also without purpose. He says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. It's good to be young. So many advantages to it. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Now, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Of course, there's boundaries in what he's talking about. This isn't do whatever you want in life. But even as you and I try to seek and figure out what's God's will, what's his plan? I want to understand what God wants me to do in life because I want my desires to line up with his desires. There's a few different ways and a few different um, just realities for us when we're discerning God's will for our lives. There's, there's the times where we know he's very clear in what he says, and sometimes where he's less clear, and sometimes where it's not clear at all. Uh, for example, there's times when he's very clear, meaning you look at Scripture, and there's times where God, particularly in the book of Acts, he gets guys like Paul, he pulls them aside, and, and, and he says, you know what, you're not going over there, you're going over here. And Paul's like, the Spirit said, you can't go over there. Don't go over there. But there's a man in Macedonia, and he's calling me. You need to go here. And he just knew. It is very clear. God says to Moses, this is what you're going to do. Abraham, this is what you're going to do. He says, this is the path. Take it. And then it's just a matter of obedience and disobedience. There's things in your life that right now you know, I don't need to seek God's will on. It's very clear in Scripture. The only question is, am I going to obey or not? But then there's other things in life that, that are less clear. So sometimes in Scripture, God tells you what not to do, but you don't always know what to do because there's some breathing room there. And, and, and so you say, okay, I've, I, I've thought about, should, should I buy a house? And Scripture doesn't say, Ryan, you should buy a house when you get in this city in this age. But I know based on what God says about stewardship and wise investments and all kinds of stuff, I, I think this could be right for our family. Okay, so you've deduced that. But then you say, do I buy the house over here or do I buy the house over here? And so you kind of sense God's will, but it's still, it's just less clear. And, and this is why God's given us the wisdom literature, the, the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon to say, you need to understand just because you don't have a direct word from God in the sense that we want a word from God, godly wisdom from his word and through his spirit is God speaking to you. So sometimes God just says, use wisdom. This is why I have a whole section of the Bible that's all about wisdom, not worldly wisdom, godly wisdom. And so sometimes you've got to make a choice, not because you heard the skies open up and God yelled down, take the house on the left, it's amazing. But you said, you know what, we're going to use some godly wisdom in here, and we, since he's leading us in this direction, we need to take a step of faith in this direction. But then there's also times where it's really not clear at all. Where you say, God, I don't know, it seems like I could go anywhere, do anything. And particularly when you're young and you're thinking, do I go to college? Do I not go to college? Do I, do I live in this city? Do I work at this job? What do I do? And for some people, they view God's will as a tightrope over an, uh, an alligator pit. And they think, if I take a step any direction off, I'm going to fall and it's going to be horrible. 
But God's will, I think, in a lot of ways is more broad than that. And he gives us direction and says, move in this direction. And you've got to be intent on listening to his voice. But sometimes you say, well, I, I sense God's giving me the desire to be married. But, well, there's 300 plus million people in this country alone. Pretty wide open. Who do you marry? What do you do? There's a whole bunch of things like that. And we've got to understand there's things that God as a father, is a, is a red light God, where he just says, you can't do that. Silas knows that me as his father, he, he could ask me any way he wanted, under any circumstance, I would just say no to some things. He, he, can I draw on the walls? No. Can I rip the insulation off of the door like I did yesterday during my quiet time because I get bored and I'm a rascal? No, you can't, even though he did. No, you're not supposed to. But then there, there's elements of God being a green light God. Where you see in scripture, Jesus says, ask your father. He's a good father and he gives gifts. And some of us, we didn't grow up thinking God is like this. That he wasn't a good father who likes to give us some room to run. But we thought you got to just do exactly like he says in every single way. And if you don't hear the heavens open up and him tell you go left or right, then you just stay put and you don't do anything in life. And there's things that Silas, he knows when he comes and asks me, there's a whole bunch of stuff he has the green light on. Dad, can we play? More than likely, yeah. Dad, can we spend some time together? Yeah. Dad, can we go to the park? Yeah. Dad, can we do this? And for you, can I, can I go hiking this weekend? And God says, yeah, you can go. Can I go to Colorado with my friends? I'm young. I got some money. I can do this. Yeah, you can go. Enjoy it. It's okay. Do, do, do some of these things. But you always use spiritual discernment and wisdom that comes from God's word. But in those gray areas, we're like, it just doesn't lay it out in scripture for me. This is why he's given you his spirit and wisdom. But remember that you must give an account to everything or for everything you do. So this is the second remember. He's saying, okay, first off, remember there's going to be dark days. Second off, remember you have an expiration date. You're going to be judged for everything you do. So do what you want to do, but it better line up with what God wants, right? Your heart needs to line up with his. You can't just do whatever you want. So you say, well, and our our society does this all the time. Well, you're young. You're going to be silly. Um, Go to college and have fun. And so you find that for a year and a half, you spent the first year and a half of college going to parties, getting drunk, being stupid, messing with your purity. And all of a sudden, you look back and say, well, that's what society said that time in life was for. And God's saying, I'm telling you, you got some green lights. But use wisdom, and it doesn't mean you can sin. You're going to look back and regret that. There's never a time where God just says, run free, do anything. He's always going to be Lord. You've got to use wisdom for things. You're going to be held accountable. You're going to be judged for these things. If you're a believer, it's not a heaven and hell judgment. It's a, have you been a good steward with what I've done and given you? Kind of judgment. Jesus talks about that. So, you're going to be accountable Refuse, in verse 10, refuse to worry. So emotionally, keep yourself healthy. Some of us, we worry about so much, so much. It overtakes our minds. How many of you guys are a worry ward? Worry is a choice. Worry is a choice. Because here's what worry is in, in direct relation to. When thoughts enter your mind, to some degree, you can't always choose the thoughts that come into your mind. You always get to choose the thoughts you entertain. 
And so you'll have a thought that might spur on a little worry, but you get to, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When the thought enters your mind and it prompts something in your sinful flesh to say, I should worry about this, then you get to choose. I'm going to test this against truth. I'm going to know God's word. I'm going to test it against what's true. And you get to choose whether you're going to entertain the thought. If you entertain the thought, you're probably going to find yourself worrying. The devil isn't the Lord over your mind. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you so that you can take captive the thoughts. So refuse, choose not to worry. And keep your body healthy. Go to the gym, get some exercise. It's good. When you're young, you can do these things, he says, and it's it's an advantage to you. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. In other words, it's fleeting. It's short. You have an expiration date. How many of you... um, if we, if we all, I know this would be creepy, but just hypothetically, if we went to your house and we opened up your fridge, how many weird expiration dates that would we see in like some dairy or something, milk, that you have is gone way past the expiration date? Would there be anything in your fridge that would fall under that category? Some of us, we like to play that game where we just, we just let it go way past the expiration date. We don't think much about it. And sometimes, you ever used something and then saw the expiration date? And you're like, oh my, I can't believe I, I used that, right? Your kids smell the milk. And you thought, oh, I should have thrown that away. We all got, we all got people who don't pay attention to expiration dates. And we're a little bit eh, hesitant when we eat at their house, right? Expiration dates are important. God's saying, you've got one. Have you had any reminders lately that you have an expiration date? I, um, I've had several reminders. When I went to my parents' house the other day, one of the things that was primarily on my mind was what the mattress was like that I would be sleeping on. I know I'm only 32, but I'm going on 82. Because I knew if it's not a very good mattress, it's going to knock my back out of whack, and it's, it's just not going to be fun. Some of you dread vacations because you think, well, if I get one bad mattress at one hotel, it's going to wreck a couple days. I'm going to have some hip issues and some joint pain, right? I, I, to this day, when I see pictures of myself, I kid you not, I just did it with the baptisms. I saw on Facebook, they had some baptism pictures posted, and I saw the top of my head. I was caught off guard at the level of baldness. I know I'm bald. I speak about it. I see myself in the mirror. And yet for 10 years, every picture I've seen, I'm ki- I kid you, 10 years, every picture I've seen, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I had no idea it was to that level. It just is. It just, it just catches you off guard. Tara and I last night, you know what we spent five minutes talking about right before bed? She was having heart palpitations. And then I said, I'm having heart palpitations. Like a couple 80-year-olds, we talked about how we were going to sleep that night because of our heart palpitations. What about you? What's been reminding you that you got an expiration date? Are your joints aching? Are you seeing tragedy all around, thinking, man, life is short? Are you seeing your kids go real, really, really fast, and you find yourself sitting with them, looking at old pictures, and they're only three years old? And you're saying, I feel sad just having you watch Look at pictures of when you were a baby, but you're not a baby anymore. You're not even a little toddler. You're like a little boy or a little girl, and then they become bigger. And they, 
What's been reminding you? Here's the big idea. He's saying, in youth, there's a lot of advantages, but recognize that time will fly by and you've got an expiration date and it's good to sit and contemplate, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? Let me ask you, if you looked at the last one year of your life, the spiritual trajectory, the way that you've devoted yourself to the gospel and and God's word and his mission and just your own spiritual growth, if you continued that trajectory of just the last one year of life, if you continued that for the next 20 years, would you like what you see in 20 years? Would you like it? If you grew each year for the next 20 years, the same that you've grown spiritually in the last year, would that be a good thing or would that be a bad thing? Some of us go years and we just don't think about that kind of thing. We just assume, I think I'm growing, I hope I'm growing, I don't know if I'm growing. But there'll be a day for most of us where we'll look back and say, I should have taken that stuff more serious. I could have maximized so much more in this life. I think one thing that we um, need to gather from this before we move on is, is that it's vitally important for the young and the old, and biblically, especially from Hebrew culture, the difference between young and old is, is the age of 40. That's traditionally how Jews understood it. Under 40 was youth, and over 40 was non-youth. <laughs> but regardless of where you fall in that, it's crucial that we're together because youth reminds people who are older life isn't over make the most of it and and those who are older remind youth sit down and think about where you're headed because i am and i don't want you to just let life blow by you so let me ask you for those of you who would be considered youth who's your mentor who's older than you that pours into you Have you heard 6,700 sermons where the pastor has challenged you to get a spiritual mentor and said, I should do that, and then never did that? Get one. Get rejected by 10 of them because you asked them too many times. It'd be better to get rejected by them than to not have one. How How about the flip side? If you're older, who are you pouring into? Because you need to know that your regrets are just regrets if they stay with you. They're warnings if you give them to others. Don't let your regrets just be regrets. Let them be warnings. Let them be encouragements to the next generation. This is a biblical thing. The, the, the older are supposed to pour into the younger, and yet the older benefit by being around the younger. Take it serious. If you're in a grow group, just don't just throw the kids in a different room because they're not good for the conversation. Show them what it's like to follow Jesus. Pray with them. Eat with them. Love them. They're not a hindrance. They're a blessing. Verses 1 through 5. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim in your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your heart, start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants, stop grinding, and before your eyes, the women looking through the windows, see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. 
Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all your sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. I'd every time I, I get it, and it makes me laugh. Again, weird how many YouTube videos there are of dying grasshoppers. And the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Second thing we see, don't forget that life is about God. Life is about God. He says six times, remember, and in six different ways, he tells you, things grow old and they break. They break. Just like, just like a car. Right? You get a car when it's got low miles on it, when it's newer, and you just assume this is going to be more enjoyable to have it now because it's not going to break. But when it gets old, it's going to nickel and dime me to death. And it's just not fun. You're taught that. It's, it's good to be young. And so don't forget about God all along the way. Now, this might sound, this might sound um, incredibly basic, but remember up to this point in Ecclesiastes, he's been talking about all kinds of different things with wisdom. I hadn't mentioned the name of God that many times. He's going he's gonna to end um, next week, and he's going to talk about fearing God. But don't forget that life is about God. You can go through each one of these things. You can, you can find yourself going through the, the first verse, says it all in, in chapter 12. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him, because one day when you get older, you're going to say, life isn't pleasant anymore. Just like that car. I don't like this car anymore. It breaks all the time. There'll be a day when that happens. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your eyes, and the rain clouds continually darken your sky. When you can't see very well, when you get older, that happens. Sometimes you, you can't see. Then he says in verse 3, remember him before your legs. So he, he takes the human body and he breaks it down and metaphorically in a way that um, is interesting. He says, remember your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble. You ever see an old person just kind of shaking and trembling? As I was worshiping another day in another church and, and I saw an older man who he's just standing. He's just shaking. I couldn't help but to watch. He's just shaking his legs and I, I felt horrible for him. There's a time when, when your kids who um, run up the steps at, at your house and they go two steps, three steps at a time, and there's three leaps and they're all the way up the stairs, when, when they're going to just be shuffling. <laughs> and they're going to say, I need a ranch home with one floor because I don't want any steps. It says, remember God before your teeth, before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Those of you always playing on your phones, your shoulders are probably going to stoop a little bit earlier than uh, traditionally. Little, little jab there. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. People got teeth issues. Their teeth soften and they, they have trouble as they get older. I went to go visit my grandma who's in her 80s this week and she had tomato kind of all over her chin and her face. She was eating a tomato, just mushing that thing up. She didn't have her dentures in on the bottom. She was just like, like a kid just gumming that thing down, doing her thing. And just, she didn't care. She was okay with it. But before you get to that point, turn your eyes to Jesus. 
<laughs> that, was a, that was, sometimes things sound weird coming out and they make sense up here. That's right. <laughs> I should call grandma. I was thinking before you, anyway. Um, you're, if you serve and stop grinding and you're before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly before your eyes go bad. Remember him. Remember him when life's opportunities are closed and the sound of work fades. Sometimes the older people get, the more they fear losing their job because they say, I don't know what I would do. And when you're young, you're like, what do I want to do? The world's my wish. I could do anything. I could go here. I could work this job. I, I could go back to school if I want to. I mean, you can do things. And then you get to a stage in life where you just feel insecure about going back to school. You feel more insecure about changing career paths. He says before, before that happens, before you, you find that right now you're, you're, you're working and you're waking up at dawn and the birds are chirping and one day that won't happen. All that's going to be a distant memory. Before you get there, before you get to the place of fearing that you're going to fall, when an ice storm messes up your week, not because of driving, but just walking out to your car, because it could be so detrimental to your hips and your legs if you fell. You worry about danger in the street because you couldn't run from it and people might target you. Your hair turns white like an almond tree, when you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. You ever seen a little puppy dog just barking and yipping and running and just being a silly little puppy dog and you can't get them to stop? And then they grow older and they just sleep a lot. And they become old dogs who just kind of flop around a lot. And then before you know it, you, you, you say, here, to whatever your dog or cat or whatever, and you want to even like entice them with a treat to get up and do something. And they just look up at you with those big eyes and are like, no, thank you. <laughs> not worth it anymore all those treats make me so heavy and that's why i'm sleeping so much and you're just like yeah you're just tired before you get to that point and the caperberry must have been an aphrodisiac no longer inspires sexual desire you ever see the millions of like viagra commercials it just makes you uncomfortable you're watching tv with your family and those commercials because there's so much money in it now why is there so much money because it's a real struggle for people it's a real struggle before you get to that point, remember remember God. Before you find yourself dead, remember God. Some people, that's their game plan spiritually. You, you listen to any country song. You can live it up. Do what you want. There'll be a time for rocking in your rocking chair on the porch, but now go out and have a crazy time and do whatever you want. And, and the goal for many people is, yeah, I'll turn to God when I get older. Well, he's, you might not have that chance might not have that chance. We, um, we have a really self-centered faith in America. It's, it's so weird, and we don't see it because we live in this culture, and this is all that we've known. But if you go outside of America, you'll see that other people look at Christianity so much different than us. Their version of Christianity is so much more Christ-centered and God-centered than America's. And you, you, it just happens. Like, you look at our books and our music. Our, our books are, you know, your best life now. Who cares about your best life now? It's about, it's about God and eternity in heaven is going to be our best life. Well, well, this isn't about us. Or, or next time you listen to um, Christian radio, just, do it, just see how many times in the song you hear the word me. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. We've, 
we've taken, we've taken the good news of, of Jesus and made it about us. We, we've, t- we've, we've come to understand that the gospel isn't just for us, but it's about us. And we have to know that the Bible, that life, that, that the good news of Jesus is about God, but it's for us. We're, we are the beneficiaries of it, but it's about how awesome God is, not how awesome mankind is. Matter of fact, the whole premise of the gospel is that you're not as awesome as you thought you were, but God's way better than you ever imagined. Look what you can't do and look what he did do. Look what you got yourself into and look how he got you out. That's the cross. Sometimes, sometimes when I'm listening to, to, um, to Christian radio, I think that, that they, should, um, they should play songs like this. You know this one? It's a hit. Okay, don't listen to the rest of that song, but you know that song. This is what Christianity America is. It's about you, right? It's about how God can bless your path and, and, and show you how to get the most out of life and come alongside you and be your co-pilot. If you even have a hint of affirmation or truth inside saying, yeah, I saw, the, I saw the stickers on the back of the car. Jesus is my co-pilot. Yeah, that makes sense. If that even, res- something's broken. <laughs> Jesus is not your co-pilot. You shouldn't even be on the plane. You, you should, you're in the luggage carrier of the Jesus train and you're just lucky to get on this thing. Like that's, that's reality. We have, we have such, a, such a self-centered I, I could talk a lot about this. I'm going to talk a little bit. We Listen, I'm telling you, so many people in the Christian church have a relationship with God that doesn't include God. So many people on a regular basis, maybe even fill in our church, sing songs about God, pray to God, have a relationship with God that if you removed God from it, if he just slipped out the back door, they probably wouldn't recognize he was gone for weeks. Because their prayers are one-sided. Their worship is about what God has done for them, but not glorifying his attributes and who he is. They don't seek God for God. They seek God for what he can give them. Now, again, those things are beautiful, and we have the, the, the blessings of what God has done for us, but it's not about us. And so what most of us have in the Christian life is, well, we, we know... Um, God, we're going to try to live for you, but really, if we were honest, our life is about us. It's about taking our old plan for our life and just seeing if you'll bless it. I mean, does the plan for your life as a Christian look any different than it would if you weren't a Christian? You're still going to marry the same people. You're still going to live in the same place. You're still going to do basically the same stuff. You nix a couple hours of church activities and would it look just like a non-believer? That's the turning point. When I counsel just about anyone, and none of you guys are ever going to want counseling from me because you hear what I talk about in counseling here. 
this is the turning, this is top three, top five things that when someone's talking to me about any of their issues, especially if they came in in crisis mode, and God uses crisis to draw people to himself, but sometimes we assume that because people are coming to God for crisis, that they're actually coming to God and not just help for their crisis. And I don't think we should assume that. But I'll I'll talk to someone while they're going through their crisis, and I'll say, there's two paths you can take. One is going to be a path that, that will be miserable, and it won't actually be a real relationship with God. And a lot of people take this path, and they don't realize they're even on this path. This is the path where someone comes to God because they want direction from God. They don't really want God. Where they want guidance from God, but they don't really, really want God. Where, where they want out of their current crises, but once the circumstances change, they don't need God. And so their life is this up and down constantly of, okay, I'm in a place where I need guidance, I need help, I need God, but we don't really want God, we just want him to to get us out of this. And when those things start to calm down in life, they don't have a need for God anymore. And I say, that's the path that most people take, they don't even realize they're on. They want the blessings of God, but not God himself. They say, I'm seeking God. You're not seeking God, you're just seeking help. And you're disillusioned about your own relationship with him. There's another path, and this path is going to change everything. It's going to change everything. And it might not even, in some cases, look that much different, but your heart is completely different. This is where you know you need help. You know you need guidance. You know you need these blessings. But you're seeking God for God. That you want God for God, not just to get your marriage back on track or to help you find a job or to tell you, do you go left or right? But you just want God for God and you fall in front of his face and you just, you just bow down and you humble yourself and you say, God, I, I, I can't make this whole Christianity thing about me. It's about you. It's about how awesome and and amazing you are. It's about bringing you glory, not about helping me along the way to find my best life now. And, And what happens is when you come to God just for guidance, just for help, just for these things that he can do, he becomes a genie in the bottle. And you're lucky if you ever find a real relationship with him. But if you come to him saying, God, I'm just seeking you for you, you will find you will get so caught up in the amazingness of God and you bow down and you repent of sin and you see the gospel for what it is, then those other things, the guidance, the help, the direction, they just come as a natural outflow from that seeking. And you don't worry as much about your drama and your circumstance anymore because you don't, it's not even about that. God is bigger than that. C.K. Chesterton, an old, old Christian author, he, he said, humility, humility is the mother of all giants because when you're in the valley, everything seems bigger and greater. But when you're on the mountain peak, everything seems smaller. And, and When you're the Lord of your own life and you come in saying, God, I need help, but you're on the mountain peak of your own own life, you're looking down and saying, okay, yeah, God, you're awesome and I know the gospel and yeah, that stuff's good. I mean, I hear that in church, but God, I just need, need help. And everything that God has done and who he is is so much smaller than it is in reality. But when you fall on your face and you say, God, I just want you for you, and you start with humility, then all of a sudden you look up and you see God for who he truly is. He's bigger and amazing. Everything else around you just pales in comparison. There's so much more 
gosh, there's so much more I want to talk about tonight. I've got a few more minutes. I am... Let me just very quickly rifle through these. You want to see if you've got a self-centered faith or a gospel-centered faith? Check these eight things out. This is not an exhaustive list, but biblically you can find all eight of these things in very important parts. Your motivations. When you say um, something like, well, I want to go to the gym. Is it because God wants you to take care of your body and it's in honor of him? Or do you find yourself at the gym saying, you know what? I've only ran two-thirds of a mile, but and I want to quit, but hey, the person next to me is really attractive, or they have the body I want, and so you find you can run a little further. Your stamina just increased, didn't it? Your motivation isn't really God and honoring him with your body. It's just looking good in a vain way. What about your heart, the desires of your heart? Are, are they self-centered? Do you just, do you want do you want your own stuff in life? And all of these things that Jesus tells us are, are just Almost a hindrance. Like, okay, I'll do the church stuff if it means that I get my own stuff straightened out. I'll be good to God. I'll pray, God, if you take care of me in this area, then I'll do what you ask in this area. What about your focus? Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. That's Jesus. Does God have to get your attention over and over and over and over? Or is your disposition when you wake up, God, I want you. I'm thinking about you. I, I, my mind is on you. Or is he constantly saying, come back to me, quit enjoying so much uh, of the world that you have to constantly be pointed back to me. We all need it once in a while, but if it's daily that you find yourself straying, there might be an issue. What about your faith? Some of us say that we have um, faith and we do things in the name of Jesus, but we end up doing it in our own strength. If you have a self-centered faith, you might say, I believe God's calling me to do this. And, and then you take a step of faith and you have no confidence. You're completely insecure. And you say, how is that? Because a, a gospel-centered faith is a faith that you say, okay, if I believe God is asking me to do this and I'm relying on his strength, Jesus is perfect. He's not weak. I'm weak. And so if I take a step of faith and I'm super insecure, it's because I'm thinking, I got to somehow find the strength to do this. But if it's his strength, he's good. He's good. What about your prayers? How much do you listen in your prayer time? How much of your prayers are me, 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 me? If God was removed from your prayers, would they look any different? How how much time do you just praise God for who he is? He's holy. He's perfect. He's infinite. He's supreme. He's sovereign. He is so many amazing things. You want to change your prayer life, start with those, and it's going to put you in a humble state. What about your Bible study? Do you open God's Word so that you can just get fed a little bit, or do you open because you want to know who He is, like a love letter written to you, and you want to, you want to know, of course, who you are in Him, but you, you want to know who He is, not just for a little blip to get you through the week. What about your energy? Are, are, are you furthering your kingdom, or do you care about building God's kingdom? What about your plans? Are you just trying to get God to bless stuff that you would already be doing without him? Or, or do you wake up and you say, you know what? God, I'm an open book. If you say change it today, I'll change it. You can write down these scriptures and you can take a look at them later. Mark chapter 7, verse 25 through 30. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 
and 5. These are some humbling scriptures. I wish we had more time to jump into those. Verse 6. We'll end with these last two verses. Solomon says, Yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to the God who gave it. Last but not least, don't forget, it's not too late to change. Yet, it's not too late to change. Here's what he's saying in four or five different ways. He's saying there's a there's silver cord and it's beautiful and strong at one point, but it's going to break at some point. There, there's a palace with golden bowls and they're beautiful and everyone loves them, but, but they're going to crack. They're going to be broken. There's a water jar and it is a good water jar, but one day it's going to have a hole in it and they're going to throw it by the spring and say, yeah, it can't hold water anymore. And then there's a pulley at the well. And one day that rope and that pulley, it's going to rust and it's going to fray and it's all going to break. And just like he said for this whole chapter, don't wait until you die. Just like we came from dust, we will return to dust. Don't wait. But here's the thing, there's urgency right now. It's not too late right now. Some of us, you can hear all this, you can start feeling bad. You're like, man, it's cold outside. It's rainy outside. The seasons of life, we're talking about spring. Everything's exciting. You're youthful. And then you got summer, man, you're busy and it's good. And then you got fall. Things start to slow down a little bit. Your bones, your own, your, your, everything starts aching a little bit. And then there's winter. That's when things start to end and, and things go dormant. And you're thinking, man, it's cold outside. It's going towards that, that season of slowing down. And now we're talking about getting old here. And this is all just depressing. But it's not over. Parents, if your kids turned out to be just like you, would that be a good thing? Just like you are right now spiritually, do you want them to be like that? It's not too late. If you say, no, I don't want them to be like me. Right now, I'm not nearly where I feel like would be a healthy place for them at my age. It's not too late. Grandparents, you feel like you made mistakes with, with your own kiddos? We all have, right? If you've got grandbabies, look at them and say, I'm going to love them, I'm going to raise them, I'm going to do things in, in ways. I know it's not the same capacity as when I was a parent, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to right some wrongs. It's not too late. If you're an employee and you say, I've been lazy, I've been, I've been dishonest at work, I, I've had struggles, I haven't treated my company or my boss the way that I should, it's not too late. If you're an employer and you say, I've made some bad hires. I've made some bad fires. And I've done a bunch of goofy things in between and it feels like things aren't going the way that it should. It's not too late. It's not too late. If you're a Christian, you're saying, I look at this and I find that I have had a whole bunch of good intentions and yet I've wasted time. I wanted to serve I wanted to get in the word more. I wanted to, to have these things that we're talking about tonight, but I haven't done them. It's not too late. It's not too late. There's a beauty. Um, there's a beauty in being able to come here on a Wednesday night and to be refreshed and renewed. And there's an aspect of it that sometimes we can feel guilty. It's like, why do I need to be so renewed? Why am I so, guys, we get worn out. We get tired. All four seasons we talk about in a passage like this, we experience them every day. We wake up, we're like, all right, let's do this. We get busy, we, but then by the end, we just get tired. We get worn down. 
Sometimes we look at change in life and being transformed into the image of Christ, and we're just like, I'm so tired of my own brokenness and sin, and I've had such good intentions for so long, and I keep making the same mistakes, and I hear the same sermons about being transformed, and I just, sometimes I just want the winner to come, and I just want to give up a little bit. I'll give you one last quote from old C.K. Chesterton. He said, Because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. We get tired. But perhaps, here's a beautiful thing, perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon? And it may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy of the field separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. We don't want to take this metaphor too far and attribute human attributes to a holy God, but the beauty is this, and I want to leave you with this. You and I get weary and tired because of sin. Adam and Eve, they were created to live forever. They were created in the image of God. And because of sin, they grew old and they broke. God doesn't grow old. He's always got a renewed energy. He's always fresh. He's always got, he's always full of strength. And you and I, were not. That's a sinful, broken condition of being a human on earth. And it's remembrance that the reason I feel worn out is because of death and because of old age and because of a broken body and a broken emotional state and all the things that happen. And it all points to the fact that sin entered the world and I'm going to go back to dust and this is all going to end. But when you come and you get renewed and God's spirit wells up inside of you and you say, oh, this is good. I, I need this. I need to be renewed. It's good because it's a mark of being in Christ who doesn't grow old. It's a mark uh, of a God who is fresh all the time. And that's a beautiful thing. And so don't grow weary of repentance. Don't grow weary of transformation. Don't say, I've tried so many times and it's failed. Why keep going? Because God can always change you because he never changes. He's always perfect. He's always able to transform. So what do you need to step out of faith? What area of your life, maybe the whole thing needs to be renewed in Christ. It needs to be changed and you're weary, but he's strong. And he's saying, I'm going to keep on changing you. I'm going to keep on changing you because I never change. Take that step. Let's pray.